Welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. All right, why don't you stand with me? We'll pray and we'll get into God's word this morning. Jesus, we thank you. God, as we celebrate your presence today, as we celebrate Jesus, our ruling and reigning king, we thank you for all that you're doing in our children in the next generation. God, we thank you that these are spirit-filled kids, that they have your word, they have your spirit. God, that they can do great things, that you can change their world, and as their world changes, they can go into their family, they can go into their schools, they can go into wherever you may lead them in the present and in the future, God, that we thank you for the seed of your word that's planted, that they and we as a church would walk in radical love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, God, that we would be marked by fruit. God, we love you today as we open your word, as we are in this series of what does the Bible say, God, let us be encouraged with these fundamental truths of your word in a world that's gone mad, in a world that's uh, been ripped apart, been pulled away from your word, from biblical values, ethics. God, let us see a resurgence of where the Bible, God's logos, his written word comes first and foremost in the lives of your people. Let it begin with us this morning. So Father, we thank you as we um, are in week five, we've looked at prayer, we've looked at uh, worship, praise, the presence of God. God, and this week we look at when the return of Jesus comes and how we're to anticipate and eagerly await that day. God, we thank you for what you're gonna do in our hearts and our minds. God, we thank you this is a fun day to fellowship with one another, to uh, enjoy community, the church. God, as we have a time of chili and cheeseburgers and all the, the good stuff that awaits us. So Jesus, we look to you. Let us be fed by your word today. And then we'll feed our bellies. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, you can be seated and uh, so thankful you're here. And if you're here to be a part of our Western day, so thankful you made it out uh, as we have a fun day planned, and we're going to try to beat the rain. I think it's 30% about 2 o'clock, so um, we've got a bounce house, got some our miniature buddies over there for the kids, so uh, be ready and be, uh, be prepared. also want to welcome our newest little member to the church I see over here, Brinkley and Banner just had their beautiful baby, uh, so we, we love her and are so thankful and can't wait, um, and remind me baby's name, it, it's leaving my mind. Juniper, yes, awesome name. So we're thankful this is Juniper's first Sunday here at church and uh, so excited. And I can't believe you're already at church. You're, you're ready to get back at it. Uh, so you came to the right place. And there's chili. That'll, that'll get you here. I need to do it more often. But I'm excited to open God's word. And um, I don't know if you've sensed it, felt it, if you haven't been here. But the Spirit of God has been doing something special. I believe these have been um, prophetic times. These have been prophetic words. 
as we are getting back to what the truth of God's word says. And really the big idea through this series is, is we are not God's editors, we are God's messengers. And we wanna get the raw, unfiltered, purest form of what God's word is. See, there's this saying that says, if the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. And I would agree with that. But what you have to look at is, well, what translation are you getting? What interpretation of God's word is there's, I think some just in a Protestant movement, some 40,000 denominations. So you're gonna get picking and choosing and this view of that doctrine and this understanding of that theology. And there can be this confusion and, and lack of clarity. And if you're like me, I'm tired of having a lack of clarity. I'm tired of man's opinion, man's word. Let's go back to the word of God. Let's hold on to the essentials. Let's get to the, the purest understanding of God's word. And, and as the pastor of this church, that's always my heart, is when I stand up before you to minister, to preach, to teach, um, and to encourage you, to, for you to be inspired by God's word in a world that has fallen far from the truths that have built our country, the truths that build healthy and successful family, the truths that build strong marriages full of fidelity, not infidelity, is we've got to have God's word as our, our lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, the scripture says. This morning, I want to remind you of really what we've been saying is we look at really a massive topic, a topic that um, by, by no means is easy to approach, is simple to approach, but a topic nonetheless that the church should be teaching on should be leading God's people in, and quite frankly, giving a strong worldview of how are we to look for the return of Jesus. See, at the end of the day, one of two things is gonna happen in your life. We all have an appointment with death. We know that we have an appointed day when we will go to sleep in Christ, we will die, we will leave our bodies, we are eternal beings, our soul will live on. So either Jesus is gonna come back for you personally, or we could be the generation where Jesus returns and catches away his bride. And if you've turned on any kind of headline, you've watched any kind of news, it's um, hard not to see that there's been a sort of dress rehearsal for something of what could be a uh, apocalyptic, uh, eschatological type event from the pandemic, from wars and rumors of wars, from plagues, from famines, from all the events and affairs we see going on in the world, um, the world, if, even as you talk to people, are, are asking what in the world is going on? How are we to respond? And quite frankly, what does God's word say? Because I know what I feel about the situation, but my feelings don't lead me. I want the word of God to lead me. And I wanna have confidence. And when I see these certain signs, when I see these things take place, as we've been in this series, so we've started a podcast, and it's a, a way for us to take, because there's a whole lot we could, I could say today, but I know you're hungry and all you're thinking about is chili, so we could go on about the book of Revelation, but um, this week I plan to go in depth uh, on the book of Revelation in another teaching uh, where actually you can subscribe to the podcast, YouTube, Spotify, anywhere you can watch them. Uh, just search for the church and you can get it there, but... Uh, we have had two weeks so far. If you've watched it, pray it's blessed you. Um, 
I'm working on my podcast voice. You got to transition from a preacher voice to have more of a cadence of a podcast voice, okay? So we're getting there. But today we're preaching, so you better be alive and you better be awake because we're going to preach the word of God, but then we're going to teach it and we're going to break down truths and principles that'll prayerfully encourage you in this type of setting. But First Peter 1.13, look at this. We've been saying this, and this is really the language you got to have in a time and a setting and a season like this, is you've got to be, in one translation, this is the NLT, New King James says, you've got to be sober-minded. You've got to be alert. This says you've got to uh, prepare your minds for action. You've got to exercise self-control. And really, we kind of stop there, but if you go on into it, this is the big idea of anticipating the return of Jesus. Uh, Peter says here is that you have to put all your hope. Everyone say all. So he's saying you can bank on it. You can bet your life on it. You can bet your eternity on it. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So this is speaking of the second coming of Jesus. When he comes in the space between, we've seen his first coming, we read of it, we know the word of God. We live in the middle where Jesus has not come back, but there is a day that no man knows when he will come back. But in between, we're to put all of our hope in that day of when Jesus is revealed. I like to say it just very practically this way too, is you've got to um, define your life forward and then live it backwards. The scripture says in Psalms 90, 12, that uh, teach us to number our days so that we'll have a heart full of wisdom. Wisdom. You could think of it this way too, is think about death often so that you have a heart full of wisdom. Now, when we say death, we go to funerals, we have loved ones, family members that die. They're usually unpleasant times, and we don't like to really camp in the spaces of death. We kind of like to move on. We love to celebrate. We love weddings. We love parties. You know, when it comes to death or grief, they're hard emotions to process and, and spaces to live in for extended periods of time. But when you look at the scripture to have a heart full of wisdom, you have to ask the Holy Spirit, teach me to number my days. Teach me to think all the way to the end of my life, what's valuable, what's important, and then define it that way and then to live it backwards. Because if you don't do that, you, you define it in what is important now. What is of most pressing attention today? What is, is the needs and where do I need, what do I need to do to survive? But when you think and you future fit, not just your physical life, but most importantly, what you're a part of today is soul care. You're caring for the most precious part of your person, which is your soul, which is your spirit. And so when you take the scripture Teach me to number my days so that I may have a heart full of wisdom. Is your pastor, I want you to have a heart full of wisdom, that you lack nothing, that you be able to value and put to the place of prestige of what Jesus says is ultimately of value. And he says, you've got to think of that day. Even more so, Peter takes it. You have to put all of your, ba- all of your marbles in the bag. You have to put all your chips on the table and say, All my hope is in this day when Jesus Christ reveals himself. He'll either reveal himself to the world at the second coming 
or at the day of your death, to make it very practical, you're going to have a revelation of him. One of the two, that's where you will find yourself, and that's where I'll find myself. So Peter says, you've got to put all your hope. You've got to keep your eye on the goal. You have to look to the reward. We know this life is tough. We know we deal with the effects of sin. Everyone has a sentence and a day of death, but you're not to get down in the weeds. And when you open up the book of Revelation, when you open up the end times for the church, for the believer, for the follower of Jesus, it should be the most exciting, thrilling, dramatic subject that you face, dramatic moment that you face in the word of God. That we're not to have fear for that day. We're not to to tremble. We're not to be, oh my gosh, am am I going to make it? But there should be a level of confidence and a level of excitement. Now to the unbeliever, that could be the worst day and will be the worst day of their life. But for the church, the book of Revelation is all about the victory of the church. Not the doom and gloom of the church. It is about the victory of the church. And as we look to the future of the church, Jesus is good enough to reveal through John on the island of Patmos as he's in a place of persecution, he he lays it out, the seven churches, the seven angels. What is the purpose of all this allegory and symbolism and if you're like me, you got to make it practical at times. What it, how, how does this play out in my life? I don't want to get caught up in, the, in the, all the symbolism and the allegory, but it have no application for my life today. But the book of Revelation, when read with the right lens, one commentary said it's, you've got to read it uh, to be very cyclical. Picture you marching up a winding mountain, and as you go, you're seeing the same scene over and over again, But as you get higher, you get to a viewpoint of where you look down where it all begins to make sense. But you have to first start walking. And as you first start walking, you're just going to kind of see the same thing and not really get to the full picture of it. But as you walk it, as you understand it, as you read it, as you allow the Holy Spirit to open up, you begin to see the truth and the mystery come to life and things begin to unlock. You know, Scripture also says, too, is that we're hidden in Christ. If you study out what that means is there's already a dimension of our life where we are with him in a place we don't even understand to be hidden in him, to be with him, to be that close with Jesus. Hebrews 9, 27 says this, and this really lays it out very practically. It says, and just as each person is destined to die once, so we all die once, And after that comes judgment. So death and judgment. Verse 28, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. So here's where we see death, judgment, and here's where we see the second coming. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly waiting for him. And I pray today that you're in the camp You're in the tribe who is eagerly waiting for Jesus. See, when you approach the book of Revelation 2, and I've matured into this, is you can't sensationalize it. You can't get really emotional about it. You can't start picking days. I mean, you turn on late night Christian television and you get some weird stuff with the book of Revelation, okay? So there's been a lot of mishaps, misunderstandings, um, a lot of moments of where they said, this is the day that Jesus came. 
and then the year 2000 came and nothing happened, right? That you can put in place all of these things. I think when you see all the scarecrows of end times, the book of Revelation, there can be this hands-off approach to where I don't get it, I don't understand it, it's weird, um, it's not about Jesus, you could even say, and you just, you miss the heart of what um, this end times mindset is supposed to be, but it says we're supposed to eagerly be looking for him, and we're supposed to be waiting for him because he will come again. This puts to death to the scripture. A lot of people who believe in reincarnation will say, oh, well, I'll come back as somebody else. I was actually talking to someone recently who believes in reincarnation, a Christian. I said, well, let's go over to Hebrews and let's read this. Tell me if you still believe in this. So it, it makes it very clear that Jesus dies once, there's judgment, there's a second coming. You don't come back as somebody else. You don't reincarnate uh, in uh, your, you know, there's, it, it's, it's very clear. So you have to see this, and if you've ever pictured a gravestone, you've probably heard it, is you've got to define that little line. Your life uh, is summed up in the span of eternity in that little dash. You could even see, maybe you've heard the analogy, if I were to take a, um, a, a roll of yarn and to toss it and throw it out the door, and then on the very tip that I hold in my finger, put a small dot on it. Eternity would be that long line in your life here on planet Earth for the 80 plus years that we would be blessed to live. That's your life here. And what you do on that little line, on that little dot, defines how you spend eternity. And when you live with that mindset, eagerly awaiting, asking the Holy Spirit, teach me to number my days so that I can have a heart full of wisdom. We need wisdom for this little part of our life because what we want to find for the rest of our life, we want to be with Jesus. We want the works that we do in this life to honor Jesus, to build his church, to be of utmost importance of what is important to him. And as you get into scripture in all different places and stories, you'll see an underlining theme of a church that just doesn't get it or a people that doesn't get it. And it's almost as though they're fallen asleep. You get into the seven churches, there's uh, churches that are specifically addressed for being lethargic and lazy and lackadaisical. And I was thinking of really, in my generation, what a spirit that is, is robbing the church is a spirit of indifference. A spirit of indifference that says, who really cares? It's not all that important. It doesn't matter. And when you're indifferent about something, you're just okay kind of with everything. You'll make it through. You'll make, you know, you, you're just there. You're existing. And there's a spirit of indifference that's come into the church to get you off course, to get you unpassionate, and to get you to a place of where it's just business as usual today. And if I can say anything, get in your time with the Lord and say, break my heart for what breaks yours. Get the spirit of indifference off of me. What I'm, these creature comforts that can keep us bound and blinded and fallen asleep. You've got to wake up. And when you keep and you eagerly look to the coming of Jesus, it keeps you awake to what's happening in the world. It keeps you awake to what's important in your family, men, how we should be leading our homes, uh, 
together in our marriages, all of the things that are defined and, and played out in the word of God, if you're not awake to it, you get indifferent and it doesn't matter. And you don't coast forward, you always coast backwards. And so this idea, I'm just gonna put my life, my marriage, my kids on autopilot and everything will just kind of work out as I just figure it out. That's not the time and place we live in. You've gotta know what you believe, why you believe it, and you've gotta be able to defend what you believe and why you believe it. The time for easy, greasy Christianity is long gone. And if you can hear and eagerly look for the day of Jesus, it, it takes away just this, this, it's okay if I do, it's okay if I don't, one foot in the world, one foot out, I'm lukewarm, it's okay to be hot and cold, it's okay hit and miss here and there. And you've gotta begin to get the heart of Jesus and take serious what's important to him. We talked of last week, Luke chapter 10, verse 24, what made Jesus rejoice? It's the only place in scripture we see Jesus rejoice. It's when the 72 or the 70 went out and came back and they did the work that Jesus empowered them, gave them authority to do. That's what made Jesus rejoice. It said he rejoiced when the church was moving and doing and being all that Jesus had called them to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we've got to wake up. We've got to see, just as we read in Hebrews, that this is the hour of unmerited mercy that is being poured out by our Heavenly Father in Jesus. That when Jesus comes back again, the hour of grace and the hour of mercy is over. That's why we have one life, we have one chance, we have one choice. And the choice that you make, not the choice that God's makes, that he makes sending us to heaven or hell, we have the choice to either go to heaven or to hell. He gives us free will. And many times we're so quick to blame God why there's hell in our life or why that person, how could a loving God send a, send a person to hell? Hell was never created for us. Hell was created for fallen angels. And so God never sends anyone to hell. It's the choices we make perpetually, consistently, and the idea of get it all right at the last minute, that's not a, a, a valuable Christian life. That is not the way Jesus teaches us anywhere in the Bible. Yes, you have the thief at the cross. Yes, you have these moments of, of, of paradise, but don't use it as a justification and a cop-out to when I'm ready to flip the switch on, then I'll flip the switch. This is not the mindset of one who eagerly looks for Jesus, for his coming, to be a bride, pure and spotless, ready for Jesus to, to marry, essentially. You know, Romans 8, we all love this verse. It says there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So as a Christian, you are seated in Christ Jesus. Should be a, gr a great place to say amen. Thank you, Jesus, that in you there's no condemnation. But as you sit in him, See, there's a lot of times we get up and we get out. So to sit in Christ Jesus where there's no condemnation, you have to then, what is your responsibility as you're seating in him? You have to grow in fidelity with him. You have to mature in him. All throughout the Pauline epistles, his main focus is spiritual growth. Grow, 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 grow. If you're not growing, it's not working. And so as you're seated in Christ in that place of no condemnation, 
you've got to surrender. You've got to grow. You've got to keep him first place in your life. And many times as we're seated in him, we take it as a seatbelt or a security blanket instead of this is the safest place, this is the most important place where I can grow in who Jesus is and my understanding and my knowledge of him. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, Jesus, or God uh, wishes that no man would perish, but that we grow in the understanding of truth. So he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to be saved. But you can't stop there. When you come to the knowledge of Jesus loves me, he died for my sins, he rose again, I'm seated in Christ, there's no condemnation in Christ, you have to grow in the understanding of truth. And this is why the condition of the church is where it is today, because it does not grow in the understanding of truth. We seed in him, he's a security, but there is a ignorance, there is a, a, a place of where... Um, Yes, we rest, but it's out of rest we work. It's out of rest we grow. If, you ever tried, if you've ever tried in your relationship with God to grow outside of rest, it gets very religious. It gets very you white-knuckle it. But when you grow out of rest, it is blessed. It is prosperous. Uh, it's not a straining. It's more of a stride. You know, there's a difference when you strain versus when you stride. And many of us, we strain in our relationship with God versus out of a place of rest, we stride with him. We're in pace with grace. We're moving and we're doing as he leads us through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know, what I love about Jesus is you're always trading up. You're never trading down. He pricks your heart, hey, lay this down. When you lay it down, it may be uh, uncomfortable in the moment but he always has your good in mind. He has the 80 plus years of your life in mind versus the moment of discomfort of laying that thing down. You are always trading up with him. It might not look like it in the season. It might not look like it in the moment, but you're always training up when you respond in obedience to Jesus. So we have to grow in these things. Matthew 24, 37. So this just speaks very quickly. What does this day look like? when Jesus comes back. And this is Jesus talking. Matthew 24 and 25 are the uh, apocalyptic gospels of Jesus. But he says this very simply, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. And right there, that's very sober. You read the account of Noah, you would see the lawlessness and the wickedness and all that Noah's day entails. Go 45 minutes south and you can walk through the ark yourself and you can see what Noah's day was all about. It says in those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets, kind of like a day like today, enjoying banquets, parties, weddings, right up to the time when Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. So the day is going to look like any other day. It's going to look like business as usual. We're going to be having babies. We're going to be having weddings. People are going to be being buried and dying. All of these things, it's going to be business as usual until something changes. And in the podcast teaching, I'm going to get into five signs of what to look for and what to wrestle with. But 
what we see here is it's going to look like the day of Noah. And it's pretty safe to say the world we live in today, the war of ideologies, is it looks like the day of Noah. You can get into the details of sexual perversion, all of the things that are mentioned in the account of Noah. And what we have to see here is, again, not to be indifferent, but we have to see and understand where the now in Christ, he is our ark. He is our door. There was one way into the ark. And just as there was one way into the ark, there's one way into heaven, and it's through Jesus by which no other, uh, under no other name will we be saved. So just as the ark was the place of protection, which is very sad, the whole world was wrong, and Noah was right. It was a small remnant. And so there was one way in. The opportunity was there. But as Noah built, as he prepared, it says he was literally ridiculed and he was called a fool. And many times in the church space today, when you get radical about your faith, when you get public about your faith, you're ridiculed, you're called a, f a fool, you're called archaic, you're called a traditionalist, you're called all the names in the book. That's just what you hear, not under the breath of when you begin to get serious about your relationship with God. And again, we're not to be scared of these things. This is where I'm getting at, is stand for truth, do it in love, but don't be fearful of the persecution or the tribulation or the ridicule, ridicule that comes with it. Embrace it, bear it as your cross, and know that you're bringing glory and honor to him. And you, you can't be indifferent. And we live in a world today um, where all of our freedoms that we're used to um, I mean, come on, it took $44 billion to win some free speech this week of buying back Twitter. I'm sure you saw this and you followed any of that. I mean, it's just crazy the headlines we see of how far things have gone and what it takes um, to even just get the truth out and the price of having free speech where all sides can be heard, all sides can be debated, Facts don't care about your feelings. Truth sounds like hate to those who hate truth. Let's let the truth out and let people decide regardless of the feelings that are associated with it. Uh, good place to say it. So the Lord was giving prophetic signs through Noah. And we've got to say yes to the things Jesus says yes to and no to the things that he simply says to say no to. That there are lawless days coming, deception is coming, apostasy is coming. Read the book of Jude. It talks all about how we defend the faith when the days of apostasy come. That we want to be safe in the ark. I want your families to get to the ark, get to the church, get to the place of where you're resting in Jesus. You know him. You're confident in him. You got to get to the ark. And quite frankly, we live in a world that wants to be on the right side of history but I don't know about you, but I want to be on the right side of eternity. And it's not popular to be on the right side of eternity right now. History books are being rewritten. Um, all of these things that are taking place to try to be on a PC right of history when we're called to be on the right side of eternity, no matter how it makes institutions, fills, corporations, other churches, family members, be on the right side of eternity. Don't be stupid about it. Don't be ignorant about it. Do it in love. 
but be on the right side of eternity. And count the cost like Jesus says. This is why Jesus said you've got to count the cross. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to pick up your cross, and you've got to follow me. Welcome to being a disciple. And we've lost the heart and the art of what true discipleship is. Acts 2.40 says this. Again, we've, I've been mentioning kind of we love the book of Acts, and we love where Peter preaches repentance. 3,000 are saved. The church grows. Uh, but really, the language of what you got to see where Peter is coming from, this gets kind of blurred over, skipped over. We see Peter continues preaching for a long time, long-winded sermons. Um, but look what he said, that his heart in the preaching of the sermon that he came out of, filled with the Holy Spirit out of Pentecost, he was strongly urging those who listened, you've got to save yourself from this crooked, perverse, wicked generation. The spirit of the age is a crooked, perverse, wicked generation. It's the cosmic battle of good and evil. And the language of, is it us versus them? Uh, the language of, uh, yes, there's always a war at hand. Life is not a playground, it is a battlefield. We know that there is a war for the soul of man. We know that there is a war for the identity of man. Uh, but we have to understand what our weapons of warfare are. And they look much different than what we see of, of, of just taking it to the physical, though uh, we are commanded to do so as well. And we'll get into that uh, in the podcast too. So Acts 2.40, it tells us that we've got to save ourselves. And I want to spend a moment, and then I want to have a moment of meditation. And Cora, I want you to help me with this, of where we look at Revelation chapter 1, where the fiery Christ is revealed, that this is the Jesus who sits at the, at the throne of God. This is the Jesus that's coming back, and he is described in detail in Revelation chapter 1. But before we get there, I want to look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 through 22, and I want you to see that um, this is what is described of how are we to live in the wake of the waiting? How are we to live between the first and second coming? Give me some practical handlebars. Put me on some training wheels of what this is supposed to look like in the here and in the now. First Thessalonians 5 says this. It says, now concerning how and when all of this will happen. Brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write to you for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly. It'll be like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful, everything is secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things. Somebody say amen. You are not in the dark about these things. I'm prophetically speaking this today. Do not be in the dark about these things. Dear brothers and sisters, don't you love the language of family here? He's not beating them over the head. He's not shoving it down their throat. Brothers and sisters, beloved, listen. This is for your benefit. This is for your good. He says, you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert, be clear-headed. Night is the time 
when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through Jesus Christ our Lord, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other, build each other up, just as you are already doing. This is language of what it's like to be in community as the church. We've got to encourage each other. We've got to build each other up, spur one another on toward righteousness, toward holiness, toward purity. Dear brothers and sisters, verse 12, honor those who are your leaders. So it's going to speak of a time when authority is bucked, when the, the leadership is no longer trusted. So it's saying, let's be countercultural and let's lift up authority. Let's pray for authority and let's pray for those who lead us. It says, honor those who are leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. Live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, those who are indifferent, those who don't care, those who, who are pacifists. You gotta wake them up. It says, encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. This is a hard one right here. You gotta be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Now, verse 16, what you're about to read, this is the will of God for your life. If you need some direction, if you need some clarity, this is perpetually what we're consistently to be doing. You gotta always be joyful. You've gotta never stop praying. You've gotta be thankful in all circumstances. If you've woke up and you've complained today um, about a circumstance, my encouragement is to you, at least you have a day, at least you're alive, at least you have breath in your lungs. There's always something to be thankful about. And if you'll take time, when you're in a tough season, a rough season, a place of where your trust is low, your faith is low, if you just begin to write a list in your quiet time of all the things you're thankful for, it's amazing how it lifts that oppression. It's amazing how it lifts that depression when you remind yourself of the blessings and operate in the spirit of gratitude. So he's saying you gotta be joyful, you gotta pray, you gotta be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong in Christ Jesus. Verse 19, don't stifle the spirit. Don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Don't push him back. Don't grieve him. Don't diminish him. Don't water him down. Don't scoff at prophecies, but test everything that it said. So it's saying that when this day comes, there's gonna be a lot of people who look spiritual. There's gonna be a lot of people giving these prophetic words. There's gonna be a lot of people who say they have a lot of wisdom about something that might seem right, might seem good. So it's saying in a heightened, elevated place of what seemed to be spiritual, there has to be an elevated, heightened place of where there's more testing and discernment and processing and not just taking things very whimsical, being very whimsical about things. So it's saying you've got to test these things. You've got to Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every evil. So it says it in very plain language. And I want to close with this and uh, 
just give you hope today. You know, Revelation chapter one, and Corey, if you help me, Revelation chapter one um, speaks of what Jesus looks like, even in his attributes, what he'll look like when he comes. There's a, a picture uh, I want you to put up, Tim. And this is kind of a depiction of what this Jesus in Revelation chapter one, the fiery Christ. You'll see a sword coming out of his mouth. You'll see uh, the lamp, seven lampstands around him. As John was up in the spirit, it says, we'll read it, he turns around, and this is the picture of Jesus that we see. And I want this picture to be ingrained in your mind because this is the Jesus we eagerly await. This is the Jesus that is coming again. Maybe you've never read it in this way or you've heard it in this way or maybe this isn't the picture of, of Jesus, but in the world we live in today, this is the Jesus that we need to come and divide wickedness and lawlessness from truth and from righteousness. But I just want you to, to focus in. You can close your eyes for a moment. This is really a reflective moment. And I want you just to get this picture of Jesus uh, in your spirit. I want you just to think on it. I want you to really soak up to uh, meditate in the words of Scripture here. I want it to marinate uh, because this is the God we are eagerly waiting for and looking for. This is the hope that we have that, again, we're banking all of our hope on Jesus. Revelation chapter 1, verse 6 says this. It says, he has made us a kingdom of priests. For God, his father, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven. It says, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the alpha I am the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. I'm going to say it again. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Now, John, here's his vision. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day. He was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergam, Thyreda, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. And when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with the gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were like white wool, 
as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first, I am the last. I am the living one, I died. But look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Jesus, we thank you that you are coming again. Father, I thank you that just as the sword comes from your mouth, we're reminded of Hebrews that that sword can divide to the place of almost being as particular as a scalpel that can get into the bone and the marrow, separated so tenderly and so effectively. God, I pray that you separate as we look upon Jesus, as we adore him, as we exalt him, as we contemplate him, as we meditate on him, as we focus on him, God, that you would divide the flesh and the spirit, that you would fill us with yourself. God, that we would eagerly await you. We would look to you. We would not grow weary in well-doing, but in these dark days, let us be reminded and filled with hope that we are children of light who do not belong in the darkness. And God, let us be judged now so we don't have to be judged then. Judge our souls, judge our motives, judge our intentions, judge what we do with our head, heart, and hands. And that through the precious conviction of the Holy Spirit, even as in this moment, anything that you bring to light out of your fiery love for us, out of your compassion for us. Holy Spirit, forgive it, cleanse it. The blood of Jesus covers it. Empower us with your grace, with the full equipment of the Holy Spirit to be a church radiant and bright and ready to receive you, ready to walk with you, ready to run with you. And we just don't want to play Christianity. We don't want to play church. But God, orient our lives where you are supreme. You are Lord. You are on the throne. It is evident. There is fruit. Call us deeper. Call us more radically into the kingdom. A kingdom that knows no end. A kingdom filled with truth, love, justice, righteousness. Now let this work begin in us. Let it be matured in us. Now the days are short. The time is urgent. Now we pray for our families. We pray for the prodigals who don't know Jesus. Reveal your love to them. Convict them. God, put your spirit within them. 
break heaven open over them. We live under an open heaven. God, we ask that you give us the grace that's needed to mature in you, to grow in you. God, we want to be a light to a dark world. Jesus makes it all possible. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Father, as we go from this place, let us be reminded even of the symbolism of the hair of Jesus is it's white like wool, white like snow, that there's timeless wisdom and timeless truth that transcends every generation, that transcends every ruler, every nation, that we can bank on his truth, his wisdom, that our hope does not run dry when it's placed in you. Get our hope up. Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. I, Father, anyone who's grown, grown, gone sick from hope deferred, let the wisdom of God, the spirit of God, take a heart in heart and a heart of flesh be put in them. Jesus, we need you. We look to you. We long for you. This is the great and amazing and awesome day of the Lord. And we take confidence in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.